This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. What Did You Watch This Week is a candid discussion about recent movies and TV shows, and it may contain spoilers if you haven't watched them yet. Listen at your own risk. Everyone and welcome to episode number sixty-three of What Did You Watch This Week? My name is Mike. My name is John. Morning, John. Morning. That was a very enthusiastic about- everyone. You were very inclusive on that one. And that's what I was going for. I was going for total inclusivity, inclusivity, inclusiveness. Gotcha. Inclusiveness. I think inclusiveness is the word. The other ones are made up. So, yeah. John. Yes. Not a lot of shows on my list this week. Uh, mine either. Had some yeah. news articles um, that some of them I found particularly interesting. Um, interesting. Watched a movie, watched a trailer, two trailers actually. Yeah, I watched and, a uh, movie. <clears throat> and yeah, some but, trailers. But otherwise, not a lot. Well, let's just get to it then. Sure. Um,. Did you watch Supernatural at all? No. I can't remember. You did. All right. I'm going to break down the season then. So for the next few minutes, everybody, big old spoiler alert if you haven't watched season 12 of Supernatural. So like I said, I really enjoyed this season. It was one of the best seasons they've had in a while, beginning to end. Um, Essentially, they introduced in the first few episodes the British Metal Letters. And there was a very a psych, like almost a psychotic female, and essentially this is what it was. They were very uppity, very upper crust, very we're better than Americans. We handle things better, you know. The Winchesters have been known to use judgment to say, okay, this person's a demon or a psychic or a witch or a vampire, or a werewolf or whatever monster they are, but they're not evil. So there's no sense to kill them because they're not doing bad stuff. Whereas the British Men of Letters are. No, they're different. They need to die, period. And they have a code that they go by, and it's very military-esque, if you will. So the first person that comes over to have contacts with the Winchesters essentially like kidnaps Sam, tortures him violently, and tries to get information on him as, as to who the other American hunters are. Well – Another British men of letters shows up and basically puts an end to her, sends her back, and is like, no, we want to take a diplomatic approach. And essentially what they want to do is get all the American hunters to come on board with them and their system of things and work together as a big, lovey, happy group. But, of course, the American hunters are not on board, pretty much. They have no interest in working with them. They don't want to be told what to do, how to do things. They've been doing this for years. They're doing just fine. Uh, of course, to cause conflict, the only person that is that joined them was eventually Mary, the boy's mother, who was brought back from the dead by God at the end of last season. So after the first three episodes, we have uh, the the British mental letters are essentially gone, but they pop up and you have the brothers and the mom together. And then she goes off and I basically just have the brothers doing Monster of the Week episodes. And I think that's why it was so good. And then they start the underlining story arc of the season, which is Lucifer's back because Lucifer uh, 
was back at the end of last season, and he's jumping from body to body. And the last body that he was in was of a uh, rocker played by Rick Springfield. And they were supposed to banish him to the bottom of the ocean, but Crowley changed it. So he was banished back to his original body, uh, the original actor that played him. And but he was a new and improved meat suit, and there was some sort of thing in it where Lucifer had to obey Crowley because Crowley just had the big ego of Lucifer picked on him. Now he's going to basically make him his slave, make him his dog. Of course, Lucifer eventually there's a reason why he's able to escape. He starts jumping from other bodies. He ends up going into the president and impregnates his um, aide. His mistress, not mistress because his wife is dead. So is his girlfriend, secret girlfriend. Now she's been impregnated with Lucifer's child. Um, so there's that. That's the rest of the story now is Lucifer trying to find her and her, uh, the British men of letters trying to find her to kill her because the basically demon spawn inside her is pure evil and is not any good. Cass, DL, has spends the first half of the season trying to find his purpose. He's still an angel, but he can't zap anywhere. He can't fight very good. He's very sad and depressed and down on himself. And then he had Kelly, the assistant who was pregnant with Lucifer's child, but lost her. So now he's really down on himself, beating himself up. So then he finds her again. And when he does, uh, we find out that... The yellow-eyed demon from the first couple seasons is actually a prince of hell. And we meet two more princes of hells, and they're both promptly killed. Well, not promptly. One's promptly killed. The other one is eventually killed. And she is the one who Castiel, by holding Kelly's hand, the demon baby, it takes over Castiel and makes him, a bit, makes him available to kill the Prince of Darkness, one of the princes of hell, I mean. And then Castiel and her flee, and he puts her in hiding because now he's found his purpose and that this child must be born with his powers and everything's good. All right, so that's covered. Uh, the Winchesters, Monster of the Week stuff, Mom's working with the British Men of Letters. The British Men of Letters, we find out basically, are still their uppy, crusty, backstabbing bastards. Um, Eventually, by the end of the season, all of the British men and letters that we are introduced to are killed and are dead. Either the killing by killed each other, killed by monsters, or killed by the Winchesters. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so now we're on to basically the second to last episode. Actually, Rowena is killed by Lucifer, so Crowley's mom is now dead and gone. So in the final episode... Kelly's going to give birth to the baby. She knows she's going to die when it happens because they've told her it's, she's going to it's going to kill her when it happens. But she's okay with it because the you know basically the, it's either the child is making her feel like it's okay or she truly believes this because she believes the child's going to be good and not evil. So who knows? Um, the Winchesters find or cast DL and she are hiding because of the biblical events that start happening, the storms, the this, that, and everything around them as she's going into labor. So they're, they're able to track down where all these anomalies are happening and find her. And outside the cabin, a portal is kind of opened up to an alternate universe. And Castiel gets sucked in and he's rescued by someone we don't know who. 
The Winchesters show up. Castiel comes back out of the portable portal. They find then the Winchesters go out and find the portal. They all go over. We find out that it was alternate universe Bobby that saved him. So Bobby's back, but he doesn't know who Sam and Dean are. Mary never sold her soul to the yellow eyed demon to save John. So he knows who Mary and John are, but John's dead. Mary was still a hunter, but Mary died a couple of years ago. And it's basically a post-apocalyptic version of their world where the demons have basically taken over for the most part or all the bad people have. Um, so they devise a plan to – when Crowley shows up to help them, they devise a plan to lure Lucifer into the alternate universe and then close the portal so that – and secure the gate so that he's trapped over there. So to do so, Crowley says, "Yeah, we have the here's the you know here's the the recipe or the the spell." But what he doesn't tell them is that someone has to die in order for it to be come into effect. And when he does reveal it, he kills himself, sacrifices himself to close the portal, which is, you know, because Crowley apparently really likes the guys. Uh, so they all escape out. Crowley kills himself. Castiel comes out last, but the portal's still open, and Lucifer's able to stab Castiel with the angel's blade and kill Castiel. Mary comes out, forces, I think with a shotgun or something, or a weapon, forces Lucifer back through the portal, but he grabs her and pulls her through, and it seals behind her. So at the end of the season, we have Castiel's dead, Rowena's dead, Crowley's dead. Mark Shepard has gone on record saying he's not returning to the show. Lucifer and Mary are trapped in the alternate universe. Lucifer's baby is born. Kelly's dies from it. And Sam finds the baby now looking like a teenager hiding out in the nursery. And that's the end of the season. I thought you said you liked this season. I did like this season. I don't know. A lot of it, like you're, you're saying some of this stuff and it's like making me roll my eyes. You know? Um, uh, yeah, Lucifer I guess. Lucifer jumps from body to body until he reaches the president, which I guess nowadays would be not quite a stretch. Well, but- no, he doesn't, he doesn't like, he basically, he, he, he has to find a meat suit that's gonna hold him. So, he's burning through them pretty quick. They're rotting fast or whatever, if you will. And the president accepts him into him. And so he, cause basically what it is, is he's not, look, he's looking for, Love and adoration. He wants people to love him. He wants to be admired. And so that's why he seeks out to go into the president, not for the power of being able to run the country, but because the president in the show has like a 68 or 70 percent approval rating. So he just wants to be loved. And he, you know, and he wants, well, not be, he wants to be admired and worshipped, actually. That's not it. Not loved, but admired and worshipped. Okay. And he thinks he can get that through the president. And... Uh, there's a few episodes that are pretty, pretty cool because they do like some homages to like movies or this and that and everything. Like one of them is called um, First Blood, which is basically a homage to First Blood, the first Rambo movie, which is kind of cool the way they do it uh, with Sam and Dean in the woods being you know tracked down by some law enforcement officials. They do an episode called Regarding Dean, which is essentially across like a mix of like say Regarding Henry, you know, with Harrison Ford. Yep, and Memento because it's Dean gets a spell put on him by a witch and he's starting to lose memory 
and he's losing short-term stuff, and then as it goes along, long-term stuff. So it's the memento, no short-term memory, and then it's regarding Henry as he becomes simple-minded type of thing. And then my favorite episode was the episode called Stuck in the Middle with You, and it's basically a big tribute to Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. They even have the opening sequence where they're all sitting at a table at a diner and the camera's going around them as they talk about the uh, – they're, they're, well, they're not doing a, a bank robbery or diamond robbery. They're doing like a, a raid on a house. So it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. So they did a few homages, and that was really cool. Um, like I said, I actually really enjoyed the the, the season as, as a whole. And then I was surprised that, you know, they, they killed Crowley. You know, they killed Castiel. You know, they killed Rowena. Rowena's definitely gone forever. Mark Shepard, like I said, said he's not coming back. As far as Castiel staying dead, I'm not too sure about that. But um, Castiel's died like five times in the show. Yeah, I know, but it's always been like he zaps right back type of thing. He hasn't had the long-term death yet. That's why I'm not too sure about Castiel staying dead. But when Mark Shepard said he's leaving the show, I was like, damn. Right. Yeah. And and what was – What's up with the fact that they find an alternate universe where Bobby's alive and they're like, oh, you people are living your lives. You know, boy, it sucks that, you know, all the demons are there. But, hey, guess what? We're going to dump our demon garbage in there. I know. I know. What what a (laughs) short-sighted, selfish, bullshit answer that is. Like, oh, look, it's a dumping ground. I would agree. Well, I guess they figure they can't do any – the world can't get any worse. It's bad enough as it is over there. I thought they were going to use this as a way to like have Bobby come back with them, so like Bobby's back on the show. Yeah, like trade him out. But yeah, yeah, but they huh. didn't do that. They just had the little cameo, and he didn't know who they were, and this and that. So it was just like we get to see Jim Beaver, but he doesn't know him. Um, like I said, you know, all in all, like I, I know I power watched this the season, but it's pretty pretty dang good. Pretty dang good. Like uh, the alpha the alpha vampire came back for an episode. And was killed. And uh, <laughs> I like him. He's been doing well on Magicians. Yeah, he came back for an episode and was killed. And, like, we got to see Jody and her two adopted daughters there for a couple episodes. I always like it when Kim Rhodes comes back on. I was actually afraid they were going to kill her. Every time she comes on, I assume that they're going to kill her. Uh, me too, because there's basically, like, no one left. I mean, like, especially now with Crowley and Rowena being killed, it's like they don't even have any... Anyone on the evil side of things that they that they work with, you know what I mean. So, I'm curious to see where season 13 goes. Like, I, this is the first time in a long time actually when the season's gotten over, and I'm like, I'm actually looking forward to see what happens next year. Because um, we have talked about how downhill the show has gone over the last few years. Correct. So, anyhow, that was my long-winded uh, supernatural rundown. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you liked it. Thanks. So, what'd you watch? Um, I watched. Uh, I finished up Prison Break. Oh, okay. And I'll say this: um, afterwards, they did an interview with the guy who did it, and he said the right thing, which was how it ended. Which is, this was meant to be a self-contained, as he put it, nine-hour movie. So this was not meant to have a cliffhanger. It was not meant to be the X-Files and leave us on the most disgusting cliffhanger ever known to man. Um, That was pretty bad. Yeah. This was meant to be a self-contained thing just to be like, hey, let's tell you what's going on with these people. And in that respect, it did well. Um, The 
The back end of it was definitely the best part. Once they got out of that prison in the Middle East, uh, once we got, uh, what's his name there, Michael, actually able to be the devious plan maker that we all know him for, like the last two or three episodes were actually really good because they were him going against Mark Feuerstein's character of Poseidon and, uh, like both of them being super geniuses, both of them being, you know, plan makers and going back and forth, you know, this one's trying to one up this one. This one's trying to one up this one. It was really well done and it was much better than just watching them try to break out of a prison. So if they could have run with that for more of the season, I think it would have been much better and the ratings would have been higher. Uh, that being said, I found it satisfactory. I enjoyed what it was. I'm glad that they didn't do any kind of cliffhanger, that they gave us some actual resolution, and it wasn't a gravestone of Michael Schofield like the season, the series originally did. Um, yeah, I liked it. Awesome. Yeah, good. That was my um, long-winded rant on prison rate break. No, oh, yours was much much shorter than my long-winded rant. Um, so I'm um, just a real quick Fargo note. Oh yeah. Uh, um, so in this episode, the most recent episode, uh, Mary Weinstead's character Nikki, she's the uh, girlfriend of uh, Ray, one of the twins. Uh, she was arrested for his murder because they set it up to make it look that way. Um, and uh, basically the, the only thing I want to bring out there is at the end of the episode, she's put on this bus to be sent back to a state prison because they revoked her pr- parole. And she's sat down. Uh, they, they sit her next to Mr. Wrench, one of the hitmen from season one. Ah. So I thought that was neat. So they're crossing. They're, they're the kind time. of wrapped. Yeah, they're tying season one back into it because they're having Mr. Wrench now. I think Mr. Wrench so far now is the only character to be on all three seasons because in season one he was a hitman who at the at some point through the season he is arrested and he's mute. Season two, he's sm- shown as a small child. Him and his buddy who was another who was also the other hitman in season one. They're shown as kids together. And then season – not small child, but like teenagers or young teenagers, tweens or whatever. And then now in season three, he's shown again you know, on this prison transport bus. So I, don't know, I just like that when they do stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you watch Gotham? I did. What did you think of Gotham? I thought, no. oh, yay. Next week is I, the season finale. Yeah, yeah, the last two episodes. But um, – <sighs> Leaves all virus stop. She buries Jim alive in a coffin. Turns herself into the police. Da da da. She buries him alive with a dose of the virus so that he can infect himself and do his own way out. Because her big plan is that she he can infect himself and then they can be together in her mind. That's right. Because they'll be both be infected together. Together forever. And then uh, now partially brainwashed Bruce comes back. I don't even know what the hell's going on. I don't know. It's so I can't stand his flipping turtlenecks. They look so stupid. Yes, they do. But anyways, long and the short of it, a bomb is detonated in Gotham, unleashing the the the, the blood that the virus is an airborne virus to yep. infect the people of Gotham. And then Fish Mooney showed up at the end to rescue Penguin from being killed by the Riddler. Which. Let's take count of that for a second. So yeah. Penguin is there. We've got Riddler. We've got Butch. We've got Barbara. And we've got Tabitha. And all of them yeah. have guns trained on him. 
Oh, and Ivy's there just kind of hanging out too. Yeah, because that seems to be – she's literally window dressing this season. Um, yep. Then Fish walks in with two guys who have automatic rifles, mm-hmm. and they're pointing them at the same area. So essentially we've got a Mexican standoff, except that everybody on Riddler's team just, like, puts their guns up in the air like, whoa, whoa, we didn't know that these guys were going to have guns. Well, they, I think they have it's, guns, it's, too. I think it's because it's Fish Mooney. But it reminded me of that scene in the animated Aladdin when Abu grabs the sword and he starts swinging it and all the guards, like, back off. And they're like, oh, my God, he's got a sword. And then the captain of the guards oh, is like, we've yeah. all got swords. It's the same thing. But, yeah, like, <laughs> like Butch is like. I forgot like, about how he pointed that out. That's awesome. But. Then, like, Butch is like, you know, oh, it's Fish. He knows how to make an entrance. Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Yeah. Butch apparently is led around by his penis everywhere. Um, he well, I'm pretty to, sure, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he seems to only go where the tough, strong women are going to dominate him. Well, good for him. They've got clubs for that and message boards online. Um, I don't even know hey, if they have an online in Gotham. See, don't forget a whole bunch of police got killed, too. Uh you know, that doesn't even need to be said anymore because that's pretty much the standard for Gotham these days. We've talked about their retirement plan and their sign-on bonus and stuff. Um, but, yeah, and then Fish is just like, I'm taking Oswald with me. And they're like, okay. And they just let her. They they don't even protest. They don't even say, you know, well, what are you going to give us or he's mine or anything. They're just right. like, okay, here you go. And, and don't forget Tabitha and Butch are kind of together where Butch is trying to point out how Barbara's not – they're not a team with Barbara. Barbara's all for herself and right. she shows that. So, But, yeah, I don't know what's going on with Bruce there. Um, yeah. Alfred finally beat somebody up by shooting the old man. You know, go Alfred. I know. I thought it was great. And then the old man's like, go find the demon's head. And you're like, great. So next season will be Rachel Ghoul because, you know, we can't have a DC show without the League of Assassins and Rachel Ghoul. Apparently he is the number one character in the DC universe because everyone's got him. Yeah. Yep. So it's almost over. Yay. <sighs> yippee, yippee, skippy. Yeah. And the preview for, for the season finale shows Selena Kyle wearing leather that's kind of like zipped down and using a oh, whip. Oh, does it? Yep. She's going to get her whip. Yay. Cause you she's know. She's going to be cat girl, cat woman, cat girl, <laughs> I guess. She's still cat girl. Yeah. She's going to be cat girl. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Um, I guess of the modern era cat girls, Cat women to choose from, which is limited, I realize. Anne Hathaway, Halle Berry, and now this girl. Don't forget Michelle guess, Pfeiffer. Oh, sorry, Michelle Pfeiffer. I, I, I guess I'd have to go with, with, uh, with Anne Hathaway. <sighs> Reluctantly, but yes, because yeah. I would never give it to Halle Berry. Um, no. Michelle Pfeiffer is a good actress, but yeah. her portrayal yeah. was just more psychotic than anything. Now, if we want to go back to the 1960s Catwoman, Which I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Eartha Kitt. Yeah, I thought Eartha Kitt. I assume Kitt, that would be your choice. Yeah. I mean, she the way she said purr, I think that was just <laughs> phenomenal. It's just perfect. I don't know. I'm big yeah, so I thought Eartha Kitt was my favorite in the original. Understandably. Yeah. And until I see otherwise, I'm still going with Yvonne Craig as as a, a bad girl. Okay. Because you know you have two options, or well, three options. So 
<laughs> and we're definitely not giving it to um, what's her name there from uh, Alicia Silverstone. Oh God, no, 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 no. God, no. I mean, goodness, no. Anyways, um, so that wraps up Gotham. Yeah. Let's talk about class. I have finished class. Yes. Which and it looks like it's been canceled. I couldn't find anything on it. I was trying to read last night to see what was what. And this is this is my breakdown. I did not like the first. I, I, the first episode was okay. It lost me on two, three, and four. Yep. And five and six. Six six had improved. Yep. A little bit. They're trapped in that uh, the detention room, if you will. But it's all teeny drama crap that I I just didn't care about. I mean, I don't know. <sighs> Uh, that one was it was full of angst, but it was definitely one of the better ones. Episode seven, I thought, was phenomenal. The metaphysical engine. Oh, I loved that episode. The yes. episode where Quill gets the iron removed from her head. Yep. And I and we met uh, Balin or mm-hmm. Balin, no, it's not yeah Balin. Um, I really enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed that story. I really enjoyed everything that they did with that. I thought that was just great. The headmistress coming and going and yes, all the steps that they had to go through, the specific things like they had to go to, you know, Quill Heaven, which yeah. doesn't exist. It's just an idea, but we had to go there anyway type of thing. Yep. Go to, go to Quill Hell, go to here, you know, go get uh, – balance his uh his god's blood and get this and this you know like do all these these tasks that they had to do yep and they told a wonderful story of two people that didn't know each other to two people that basically kind of fell for each other and you know what i liked about episode six and seven together was at the beginning of six we see her lock them in detention and walk away and then at the end of six, we see her walk back into detention at the end. Mm-hmm. And then in episode seven, we see her lock them into detention and leave. And then it ends with her coming back into detention. You yep. know what I mean? So I really enjoyed how they tied it in like that. Absolutely. Um, but I, I loved her story, loved her adventure. I thought it was great. It's my favorite episode of the series, um, hands down. And maybe it's because it's just focused on her and her life so much and everything going on with her and not so much the teeny drama. I, I don't know, but I really enjoyed it. And it was much more of a thinking piece, you know? The places yes. that they were going were metaphysical. And yep. even the headmistress got more of a uh, more of a stage presence. You know, she got yep. to have a bigger role, et cetera. Yep. Um, so, yeah. And then we roll into, you know, the end of the episode where essentially the headmistress is like, oh, well, you're actually in the cabinet and only one of you can leave. And you have to fight to the death. And it's just like, what? And I was just an illusion. Ha ha. Yeah, I was just an illusion. I couldn't actually be there. There's only enough for one of you to come back on and on and on. And at first they're like, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to fight each other. And it was kind of like the whole thing. Like at first I thought it was a test to see if they would do it and see how they weren't going to fight each other. Okay, we're going to let you go. Oh, no, no. We're going to pile it on even more to make you fight each other, to make one of you make a bad decision. And they do and they fight and then he gets the gun, but they've once again, they set the gun so it would fire back on the owner. Yep. And on the person that shot it. Yeah. I really liked the way that that whole scene was filmed because it was interspersed. You know, it would be them fighting, but then suddenly you'd see them talking about it. So it was like, are they really fighting? Are they just imagining the fight in their heads or are we seeing like, Five minutes from now versus now, it was so well done. I it really, really was. It. 
because it's them talking about how they shouldn't do it, don't do it, don't listen to them, we can't do this. Like her, uh, Quill saying and Balin basically being like, I've already been a prisoner for too long. I can't risk doing it again. If that is my cousin or my niece, whatever it is that's out there, I need to go find her. Yep. And, you know, he ends up shooting. He's going to shoot her, and she's accepted it and forgiven him for it. But then, of course, the gun shoots him, and she's definitely upset. Yeah. Truly upset about it, you know? And then eventually she's able to climb, climb out of the cabinet, which, uh, was kind of funny a little bit the way she climbed out of the cabinet because right. it's not that big. Um, Don't forget that they discovered that time passes differently in the cabinet. Yes, time passes differently. So she like she had long hair, and again that was something they ad- addressed at the end of episode six when the guy goes, "What happened to your hair?" Yeah, yeah. What happened to your eye and your hair? Because she had just left, and now her hair is tremendously longer. Yes. Um, yeah, so she comes out of the cabinet, and of course we find out that uh, she's pregnant. A lot pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so then we jump to the final episode, and basically the Shadow King, who's not the king anymore, but you know what I mean. The but Shadow he king. is, because he took yes. it back. Yeah, because didn't, she didn't kill him. Um, is there, and they're going to – he's killing the parents of the kids and families, and he's going to – Invade and take over the Earth. See, this is one thing about this show that Doctor Who doesn't seem to have, and that's, uh, like, ramped up stakes. Yes. You know, in Doctor Who or in a lot of these serialized TV shows, even the supernaturals and stuff, you know, you don't see murder of parents. And this was just blatant. This wasn't a lot of posturing and talking. Like, he literally just eviscerated Ram's dad in front of him and yep. watched him fall to a pile of dust. How Ram is still walking. This guy's yeah. seen so much tragedy. He's seen so many people taken from him right in front of his eyes. I don't yeah. know how the kid's still functioning. Yeah. And then, you know, Tanya watching her mother be murdered right in front of her, watching yep. her brothers get attacked and Quill stepping in to save. But, you know, this show really like, it kills people. It does bloody murders. It, yep. um, well, that's the thing. It's, it's, I remember reading about like, you know, Doctor Who, when it airs over in, in the UK and it always has, it airs at like 7.15, 7.45, you know, it airs early. Yep. And so Doctor Who is meant to be a family friendly show that the family can sit down and watch together and enjoy together. Yep. Um, every time I hear the theme music, I get so jacked. And I know I've said that before, but I really do. Anyways, Whereas, like, Torchwood and now Class is on later. It's meant to be the adult version of the Doctor Who universe. Right. And they really are. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, the stakes with him, just their parents being murdered and attacked in front of them and everything else. Yeah, it's it's pretty violent. <laughs> By Go comparison. back a couple of episodes to those flowers that were appearing and killing people and seeing oh, the chewed up people. bodies on the street. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty violent. Mm, yummy. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I mean, do you want to break down the, the, the episode ending or you just want to say it's over? Um, yeah, we could just say that it's over because that was – it was very weird. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. It, it was bizarre. It seemed like some of the rules changed, you know, with Charlie being like, oh, well, I killed him, so I'm the king. But – 
as soon as I make a move on this weapon, then they're all going to attack me. Well, why would they? They're, you're the king. Yeah, exactly. Even though I'm the king, they know they don't all want to be killed, so they're going to attack me. Yeah, you're right. That was dumb. Yeah. And then, of course, he stands there having a conversation before he does it, even though they're being overrun by Shadowkin. He's just going to go you know, talk to his boyfriend about how, and his boyfriend's still like, you don't have to do this. Yeah. He literally does. does. <laughs> they're they're going to kill the, yeah, yeah. He really does. I did like how Quill saved him from being killed by that last um, soul. Yes, because he's like, and it wasn't because she wanted him to live because you know she's grown fond of him. No, no, you need to learn to live with what you've done and what this. You need to learn to live with the suffering, with the guilt, with that. You know what I mean? She basically, you know, it's it's a torturous thing for her. Yep. But um. I mean, they did leave it on a huge cliffhanger. She's still pregnant. We don't know what's happened to everyone. And apparently April is in the body of the Shadowkin King. Yeah. So, yeah. But doesn't realize it. Doesn't realize it, yeah. So, I would like them to cancel this show and then do another spinoff of just Quill. <laughs> yeah. Or somehow put Quill on Doctor Who. Because yep. I get episode seven was really, really, really good. Yes. And if they did a show centered around her, I would totally watch that. I would as well. I just I kinda hate the idea of, you know, she's that character's done with because the show is. Right. Yeah. Um so what I was saying earlier about it probably being canceled, uh, the lead creator, writer, guy, etc., yeah. uh, went on a Twitter spree the other day. It was not a rant, but he basically said, hey, you're probably all wondering what's going on. Uh, essentially, this is what came out of it. He said that even if there is a season two, he's out. He's not going to be yeah. part of it, and that's too bad, but he really enjoyed it. Um, he seemed to blame it on um, – he said that BBC Three and BBC America did great, and kudos to BBC America for being so popular and how the Americans seem to really eat this up. Uh, yep. But he was very disappointed with BBC One. They didn't program it right or promote it right or something. He didn't get into details, but he basically said that BBC One kind of screwed them over. Um, yep. Said that, you know, he's sure that the cast will go on to do great things, um, that maybe, he says, who knows, maybe there's a shot at a season two, but, you know, I'm not holding my breath. So he really made it sound like there is definitely not going to be a season two. Like, it's, British TV works differently than ours does anyway, so they probably, yes, it does. they probably know beforehand, and they probably have less of a, you know, uh, gap. Or, I mean, they could totally, like, next year decide, hey, we're going to make a second season of the show, even though and have two years in between seasons. That's not uncommon. It could be. He said uh, in one of his tweets, he was like, we should be filming right now. You know, we should be working. Yeah. Sorry, we should be working on this because with the gap in Doctor Who's, we should be aiming to be on TV in 2018, and it's not happening right now. So I would assume. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's really not uncommon, though, for BBC shows to have, you know, a couple of years sometimes in between seasons. Right, right. And the only, I mean, the only network that really does that over here is HBO. Um, HBO. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyhow, while we're in the universe, let's chat up about Doctor the, Doctor the Who. Yes. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I, I like the episode because it's Doctor Who. You yep. know, I mean, uh, we got some great backstory on Missy and how she's trying to change. Yeah. This was uh, this was the fourth episode in a row to kind of continue where the last one left off, which is a little uncommon for yeah, Doctor Who. 
But actually, I thought this story was going to continue longer. As did I. I thought for sure. I mean, I don't uh, – at least one more episode, if not maybe through the end of the series run. Um, but they ended the monks in this episode. Essentially, the monks at the end of the last episode, Billy – or sorry, Bill. I want to call her Billy because she's a girl, but whatever. Right. Uh, Bill said – Bill uh, asked the monks to give the doctor a sight so he could save himself, and now we've seen the repercussions of that, which is they have somehow, using her thoughts as an anchor and all these statues they've erected, they've basically somehow managed to hack people's brains to make them think and remember that the monks have always been there. Yes, they've implanted themselves in the collective memories so that people see it. It's kind of the reverse of the silence, if you think about it. The silence wiped themselves out of all memories so that they've been there forever and nobody remembers it. These guys did the opposite and said, we've only been here for a few months, but we want you to remember that we've been here forever. We want you to feel like we've been here forever. Yep. Yeah. And and that's – and basically Billy – Bill pretty quick – like realize that you know something's wrong. This isn't right. <laughs> right. You know, Especially they, when they, you're like gathering people up in the streets and saying, you know, you've been spreading propaganda against the monks. Yeah. You're being put away for ten years. Um yeah, hard ten years hard labor. But she 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 discovers it pretty darn quick. Yep. And the thing is, which I, I think is kind of, I don't know if it's kinda of funny or whatever, but um then Nardo shows up, and it basically it's, it's just a big test, I guess. You know, like they very easily have to find the doctor, where he is. He's kind of located him. They go find the doctor. The doctor is broadcasting propaganda messages on behalf of the, 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 the monks. And did you – I mean, did you get like the whole elaborate testing ruse he was going through? Did uh, you pick up on it straight away? I I, I understood when he said this was all a test. I was like, okay, I get what he's saying. He was basically trying to weed out people who could see through, you know, who essentially knew something was wrong, who could see that this wasn't the way that the world was supposed to be. It was elaborate, but then again, the doctor is elaborate. Yeah, it just it felt very, 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 very elaborate. That's all, I guess. Yeah. Um, including some regeneration energy. They're, yes. They're really throwing that in a lot this season because, uh, yeah, because yeah, we all are. know that he's going to regenerate at the end of this season. So it's like they're teasing us with it. You know, they're like, Oh, here it is. Oh, oh, here it is. No, no. Oh no, that wasn't really it. Oh, here it is. He's regenerate. No, he's really not. It was a blank. Ha ha ha. I think we all know that if he does regenerate, it's not going to be to the end of the final episode of the season. Yeah. Um, but I just – I feel like they took a long time setting up the story of the monks and then took a very short time to wrap them up. Yes. Like essentially they had to break into where the main monk is where they're broadcasting the primary message and they get this information from Missy. Missy's like, well, you got to kill Bill because if you kill Bill, then that'll end everything because her mind will be separated from it. Yep. Um, but yeah, so you have to go in there and then so the doctor tries to – by touching the head of the monk who's wired in, he apparently can send out a message that covers the monk's message. 
but he doesn't have the power to do it. So Bill's going to sacrifice herself um, by doing it herself to to save humanity, which is a very noble thing to do. Uh, so she broadcasts, what she ends up broadcasting that nullifies the monks is her mother. Uh, by showing the memory of the pictures of her mother, the ones that the doctor went back and took and gave to her. Yep. And then I like how they throw in the line where the doctor takes credit for this because when he <laughs> went back in time and took the pictures, he thought he was just being a nice guy, but apparently he was saving the world, saving the world. Right. Again. And he does. Yeah. He takes full credit. He's like, Oh, he really look does. What I did. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, so she is not killed by this somehow. No, nope. they never explained that unless I missed it. No, he basically said that, uh, it was something to do with the fact that she had this one pure memory yep. and that made it so that they couldn't touch her. They couldn't hurt her. Was it because it was a fictional memory, actually? It could be. I think that's what it was. Now that I'm thinking about it, she had a fictional memory of her mother, a story that she made up, and they couldn't counteract that because it was something she made up as opposed to – facts that they're replacing right but i mean i think that might have something to do with it if you want to get right down to it you know most scientists nowadays will tell you that a lot of memories are fictional you know that's why you and i can go do something for the day you know go hang out somewhere for the day and then come back and tell the story of how it went and we've both got completely different tales because you know in my mind it went this way in your mind it went this way and our brains kind of fill in the gaps around what we wanted to remember so a lot of memories are fake anyway. So that's just to poke a hole that probably doesn't need to be poked. But that's okay. That's okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, but I do agree yeah. that yeah, they wrapped it up really fast. Yeah. And again, to make another reference to the silence, it felt like that. You know, when we first met the silence, we got a two episode arc that was really scary, and then it seemed like they were just done. You know, remember yep. the the first time the doctor made that broadcast as the uh, space shuttle was going out into space, and he's like, "Oh, you need to remember them and shoot them on sight." And he's like, "Ha ha! Now they're going to shoot you on sight, and you're going to be gone forever." And it was like, "That's it. It's done." But then they yep. came back, and then they came back again, and then they came back again. So I'm wondering if the monks are going to be similar to that. Well, they did say like when they were showing one of the bases of the monk statues from the they were destroyed. The doctor said to one of the students, "Like, what is this? I don't know. We think they are filming something there." Oh. Yeah, and he's like, "See, humanity doesn't remember the monks are here. They wipe themselves from humanity's memory so they can come back and do it again someday." Right. So, I guess that could be the setup for it. Who knows? Um, I guess for me, I, I, I still like the episode, but it's. My least favorite of the season. Yeah, it was yep. it was too quick of a wrap up. Yeah, I really look forward to next week with the um, Ice Warriors again. Yeah, I look see, forward to next week's episode. See, I do, but then they were like the way that they're promoting it. I was like, guys, you need to lead with a stronger dog because they're like the Ice Warriors are back in an episode written by Mark Gaddis, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I have not liked most, if not all, of Mark Gaddis's written episodes. So oh. that's awesome. But we'll that's see. Awesome. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, I mean, we've only got three episodes left. So, yep. 
Oh, and one more thing I, we need to bring up. I feel like we have to uh, – that we didn't talk about in class, which was the headmistress. She kept saying how they work for the governors. Yes. And what it was is that she kept talking about or she taught, mentioned the arrival a few times. Yep. And essentially we find out it's the arrival of the weeping angels. Which tied in, she said that, you know, you cannot go into this room. It was like a closet room. And she's like, you can't yes. go in here. Time moves differently. We control time. And that kind of makes sense with the weeping angels because they feed off time energy. Yeah. Yeah. That so, would have been an interesting. Um, yeah. The guy did say that in his tweets. He said, uh, if there was a season two, then there would be some great stuff, including a weeping angel civil war. Yeah, so that would have been cool. I like so that. That was another tie into Doctor Who. Yep. But um, yeah. Anyhow, what else did you watch this week, John? A uh, um, couple of quick notes. Uh, I Zombie was great. I know I say that every week, but this show is just fun. It is great. It's lighthearted. Um, we got to see uh, Liv ate the brain of a dungeon master. Somebody, somebody who was very into dungeon mastering for D and D. And so a lot of her uh, interrogation techniques revolved around that, or she'd narrate what the characters were doing or what different people were doing. It was it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, Lucifer ended its season this week, and it's definitely coming back, and it had the promo, you know, coming back. Um, the interesting thing was that uh, his mother has been falling apart. Like, she got cut, she got stabbed, and everywhere that she is – her skin is pierced like a searing light comes out and will vaporize people that are in its path. Uh, huh. Essentially they said that she's getting her powers back and, and she can't be contained. Like there can't be a, uh, a flesh suit that will contain her because she's getting too powerful and she knows it. She's not like running around like, ha ha, I'm going to defeat everybody. She's like bandaging herself up, stapling her stomach shut, trying to uh, keep herself contained in this body until they can get back to heaven. Um, and there's a lot of blah, 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 blah stuff in between. But essentially, by the end of it, uh, Lucifer has reassembled the flaming sword and tells his mom, you know, no, I'm not going back up to heaven. I'm not taking you up there because that's all revenge and blah, blah, blah. And so instead, he cuts a hole in reality and sends her to, kind of like with Supernatural, he sends her to an alternate world where there's nothing. And she's like, well, but what is it? And he's like, there's nothing. He's like, you go make something of it. You go make your own reality, make your own life. You know, in the beginning, there was nothing but darkness. Well, here you go. You're a goddess. And she does. She's like, all right. You know, she's because she realizes she's going to explode and she's going to kill everybody. And she doesn't really want that. But so she decides to take his deal and goes over there. And then he decides that he's going to tell Chloe everything. And, uh. We see him, like, on the phone leaving a voicemail. So you know something's going to go wrong. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to tell you everything. It's time we meet up. And he hangs up the phone and gets clocked in the back of the head. And then uh, – So did he get shot or something? No, no. He gets clocked. He, he's like a blackjack or something. Hits him in the back of the head. And then he wakes up in the desert. He's got all these burns all over his body, almost like um, the burns that you would see on somebody who's been exposed to the elements for too long. So like patches of burned flesh and stuff like that. And it's a very slow reveal. He stands up and he's got no shirt on and uh, he's got white wings and they spread out behind him and it pans back and he's out in the middle of a desert somewhere with white wings and that's it. That's how the season ends. Huh. So 
not sure where they're going with that, but we shall see. You know, maybe God gave him back his angelicness because he saved the world from his mother. I don't know. Hmm. Yep. He did a good thing. He did. Uh, Handmaid's Tale was good this week. We got to see the, I don't know if you'd call it a brothel, but it's essentially a place where there are women who, as one of them put it, you know, your vaginas will last for, you know, 10 or 20 years before they're worn out. Um, and the higher up men go there, women aren't allowed in there except for the ones that are already in there. It's continues to be a very dark and bleak show. And, uh, then over on American gods, um, keeping with the theme that I've been talking about, like we got introduced to Crispin Glover's character, Mr. World. Yep. And it seems like that should be much more impressive like he comes in very slowly and with a big grin on his face and you know he just seems to have command of the room and even Mr. Wednesday is you know uh looking at him like oh my god don't talk to him don't say anything so like we're expected to believe that this is very impressive but we don't know who the hell he is or why everybody's so impressed with him you know he comes in and he yeah. makes technical boy like uh apologize to Mr. Wednesday and he talks to him about how, you know, this, this man is so old and he is so wise and he's seen so much stuff. You will give him respect, you impudent little shit and like makes him give him a heartfelt apology and makes him apologize to shadow for, uh, basically lynching him earlier in the season. Um, but it, some of it is just lost on the fact that we don't know who the hell this guy is. You know, yeah, he's impressive and everyone seems to be very moved by his awesomeness, but why? I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, on the other end of it, we got to see Laura Moon, um, Emily Browning's character, uh, get into a fight with the leprechaun. And that was okay. It was all right. She kicked a lot of ass, but yeah, it's still enjoyable. I'm still okay. enjoying the show. Not screaming about how great it is or anything, but yeah. I watched the end. I watched the uh, the rest of season three of Girl Meets World. It's kind of my guilty pleasure show. Twenty minutes an episode. I loved Boy Meets World when it was on. Um, and, of course, this is Girl Meets World. It's the daughter of Cory and Topanga. And so they had a lot of uh, – Feeney was on the show, a couple episodes actually. And then uh, Will Friedle was on for one episode and Ryder Strong was on there for a few episodes. So they brought back some of the original characters. That was really cool. I like it when they do that, uh, the little nostalgia factor. And the show was canceled after three seasons. I remember the director saying that they had kind of written it, the show creator, I mean, there – they had developed the show to run four seasons, and okay. they were really hoping to get a fourth season out of it so they could conclude the story that they wanted to tell. But who knows? Who knows? Like, you know, you never know. Netflix might decide to pick it up if, it, uh, if it's popular enough on that uh, on their network there. So, well, cool. What else you got, John? The only other show that I watched this week was. Uh, I can't even believe that I watched it. I skipped it last season, but I started it up, which was uh, MasterChef. 
Oh, Rude was giving me the rundown the other night about the new format this year and the permanent third judge and this and that. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I skipped it last year because there, you know, Graham. I really liked Graham, and they were like, "No, he's gone. We're just going to have like guest judges cycling in and out." And, uh, I didn't like it when Joe left either. Christina, whatever. I, I don't know you. I don't care about you. I really liked having Joe and Graham around. And then when Joe left, I was like, eh. "Yep." And then when Graham left, I was like, eh, hell with this. But I like Aron Sanchez. Uh, I like him on a lot of the, like, chopped and, you know, the food yeah. network stuff. But it was weird because usually the the best part of MasterChef has always been when they come in and they're like, we're going to cook you our signature dish and, you know, trying to get an apron that way. And this time it's like they were either one-on-one competitions or one versus three competitions, you know, four yep. people thrown in there. And the chefs tell them, they're like, here's how what you're going to cook and here's how much time you've got to cook it. And it was always different. So, you know, some people had to do scallops. Some people had to do fried chicken. And um, But it wasn't their signature dish. No, no. It had yeah. nothing to do with their signature dish. And uh, I don't know. I didn't like it as much. I'll probably still watch it for a little bit. You know, I've already picked out the person that I'm pulling for, and that's the 19-year-old kid who works at Chipotle. Uh, he seems like a cool kid, and he's just, he's very timid and not a shit talker or anything like that. He's just there to cook, and uh, he did a good taco, I guess. And then there's one person on there that I already hate, and that is the Mama June of the group. She's basically a bear woman. You know, big, round, old, yokel, redneck. She's like, we're country. Yep. And if you uh, get hungry enough, you eat anything, groundhog or squirrel or, or chipmunk. Or, and you look at her and you're like, woman, you've never been hungry a day in your life. You've obviously been eating very well your entire life. And, you know, she told Gordon that, you know, oh, you want me to cook up this duck breast? I'm going to cook you up some taters. He's like, what? She's like, taters. What are those? Potatoes. He's like, oh, potatoes. Okay. And then, like, she cooked the grilled duck breast and slathered it with mushroom gravy. And I was like, oh, he's going to hate that. And he did. He's like, look at this. You've got a beautiful duck breast, and, and you put all this garbage all over the top of it. So I already don't like her. I'm not going to appreciate seeing her on there telling everybody that, you know, she's country every five minutes. Yeah, you've definitely sold uh, her character or her that that person is not being enjoyable to watch. <laughs> and she'll probably last right up until the end. She's like that Almost girl a couple likely, seasons yeah. ago who cried every five seconds. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But I watch these shows because I do like the cooking techniques. You know, Gordon actually showed them the proper way to break down a chicken before making fried chicken. And it was very interesting. You know, he's like, you grab it right here. You make a score mark. You pop out the knuckle. But, you know, he was going step by step. He's like, see, now you've got two drumsticks, two thighs, two wings, two breasts. This is the perfect way to do it. So I like that aspect of it. And I like seeing some of the creativity that people bring. I do not like the drama which is why I usually prefer Master Chef Junior because those kids just love each other and they don't do drama. Ah, my wife and I talk about the same thing. Master Chef Junior is so much better because they're like fantastic sports. They root for each other. Yeah, they want you know even when they're in competition, they want to win. They feel bad that they won and the others lost, and and they give yeah. them hugs and stuff, and they're like, "It's yes, okay, don't worry." And they're genuine, and they root for each other. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and and then oh. you watch regular MasterChef, and they're all a bunch of backstabbing, conniving assholes. Oh, I know, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Which is, yeah. I think, why I, I like this 19-year-old kid so much because he's just like, I'm just here to succeed. Dude. You know, I'm, I'm working as a fast food uh, prep cook and I've really got nothing else going on in my life. And I, I've got – you know, you hear all these people, they're like, nothing was ever given us in life and, and I had to scrape my way up from the bottom and now I'm this and this. And, yeah, you got a pretty good life. This kid's literally working 20 hours a week at Chipotle, you know. I hate – those I, I hate it when someone feels the need to tell about how they've got hardships. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm doing this because I've got hardships in my life. You know, but, it's, this is always, my story. They always throw in that one line. I'm a single parent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? Oh. Most people are single parents these days. It's like at work. Uh, I want to call. I'm calling because my neighbors are playing loud music, and I got kids, and they're trying to sleep. Yeah, I don't care. You got kids. That does has no effect <laughs> on our response to getting over there quick. Right. Lights and sirens. There's kids trying to sleep. That's you know, right. like it. It reminds me of George Carlin's bit about the baby on board sign in the window. Oh yes, he I was, recognize he was that genius. you drive like an asshole all the time, but. Because I decided to go and get knocked up, I expect you to behave around me. <laughs> that man was a genius. He really was. Holy I'm crap. so glad we got to see him live. I am too. I can always uh, say that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we got to see him live. That was that was just phenomenal. Oh uh, hell! I watched a I watched a documentary this week. That's so unlike you. No, it's not. It's called Rats, and I talked about the trailer a couple months back, and it was supposed to be on, I think, TLC or something like that. Well, the documentary is on Netflix now, and of course, one of the main reasons why I, I was checking it out is because it's a, it was done by Morgan Spurlock, and I'm, I'm a fan of his works that he puts out. Um, unlike his other documentaries, though, that he, he supplies no narrative to this. He's not even seen in it. Okay. It's his company that does it, and he did it, though. And eventually, it's about – eventually? Okay. Essentially. I've been up a while. Essentially, it's about how rats are like overrun kind of the planet in a lot of places, like especially like New York City. And so the uh, there's one exterminator they keep going back to and keep talking to, and uh, he's essentially like been killing rats for 30, 50 years or 48 years, whatever it is. And, and he talks about how to how intelligent they are, how they learn so quickly, you know, how we'll put this type of poison out, they'll figure it out, and then they don't go there anymore. Or we put this type of trap out, and they see it, and then one gets trapped in it, and so the rest learn, okay, we don't go to, we don't, we don't go in that type of thing. I mean, he talks about how difficult it is to really exterminate and get rid of all the rats from a place because, you know, they, they multiply so rapidly. And how, they they're smart and they learn and like rats they've it's been proven that there's um certain types of uh pest uh, poisons and and pesticides if you want to call them that or whatever it is that rats have genetically altered themselves to become immune to makes sense somehow it and not sense. just but but not just like in New York like around the world mm-hmm. You know, the same type of poison rats around the world. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing, really. But they essentially, they show us, they show, they feature stories about rats and the issues with rats in like New York City, uh, Louisiana, I feel like Mexico, but maybe not, India, Cambodia, Vietnam, and then England at the end. And they talk a lot about how the different places handle the extermination of the rats 
or what they do with them or on and on and on or what is that they're doing, what they're causing. And there's some doctors at a university or whatever, students that they capture these rats in Louisiana. They, they catch them alive in like fields and stuff or, you know, a place where they, maybe it's a junkyard. I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, but they capture in, in live, live traps and then they euthanize the rats and then they dissect them. And they are in head to toe getups for these dissections, like hazmat suits, basically. And they're cutting these rats open and they're like pulling tapeworms out and other parasites and like all like combing them and getting all the fleas off them. And they talk about how diseased and dirty they are. And you're watching them pull like 11 tapeworms out of this one and these different like sores on its internal organs and parasite after parasite after parasite and these little worms and on and on and on. And it's just, it's kind of disgusting. This one that they were, that they checked out had a bot fly that had planted larvae under this rat's skin and it was growing and it was alive still. I mean, just so disgusting how gross and diseased these rats are and how when they bite you, the, they, and they talked about the diseases like, some I'd never even heard of, and they showed photos of them, which is disturbing as all hell, that you can catch for these rats. And then we cut to Cambodia, where these people are catching rats alive, and they get paid for all the live rats that they catch. And then this guy pays these people for them, and he drives them to the border of Vietnam. And then he sells them in Vietnam to this restaurant. And then we see this this, which is apparently this restaurant kitchen where this woman is drowning the rats and then butchering them and then preparing them and many different dishes. And while she, I'm like, oh, my God, she's cooking the rats. Oh, my God. this is, she's, she's actually cooking them. All I could think of was in Louisiana, all the gross worms and parasites and stuff like that that they were pulling out of the rats – and now we're watching in Vietnam as they're cooking the rats. And the woman's like, oh, no, they're very good for you. They're not going to hurt you. They're very delicious. Have you ever tried a rat? It's like chicken but sweeter. I mean, yeah. Gross. Yeah. Oh, massively gross. I'm like, oh, God. Oh. Ugh. And then, like, but here's the thing. Like, she would make these, like, the presentation of her dishes were beautiful. I mean, like. With the greens and the vegetables and the other food that she had on the plates with the, the pieces of the rats, the way she cooked them. Visually, it was, they were, they were gorgeous actually. But mentally, they were revolting. No and then, yeah. And then the movie kind of closed out with, uh, in England showing, uh, rat terriers, these dogs and how they capture and kill the rats. And, um, yeah, so parts of this documentary are not for the squeamish, and but all in all, it was very fascinating and makes me very happy that I don't live in a place that's infested with rats. No doubt. Yeah. Hell with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gross. It's gross. Ugh. Yep. Gross. <laughs> Anyhow, you watched the movie you mentioned? Yeah, I watched um, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. How was it? You know, surprisingly, it was good. I yeah. really enjoyed it because I am surprised. Yeah, it's supposed to be a kids type movie, but I got to tell you, there's an awful lot in there that I think younger children would be very scared of. 
Um, it's got some dark aspects to it. It's got death, not bloody, gory death, but I mean, there's, there's one kid, Enoch, who they, uh, they don't really tell where he gets them from, but he has all these hearts, like little hearts, medium sized hearts, and he can put them in things like he's, he makes up these creepy dolls. Like you would see Sid play with on uh, the toy story movies and yep. he makes up these creepy dolls and then puts the hearts in them and then he can control them. He's kind of like a necromancer. So he makes them like fight to the quote unquote death. Um, that's a little creepy for a kid to be watching. Yep. That um, is, you know, there's the, the hollows, which are the main enemies, which kind of look like slender man. And with giant jagged teeth. So again, I don't think that this is the kind of thing that young children would be watching. And, and like, I mean, you and I watched that kind of stuff when we were kids, you know, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Dude, Massacre. Yeah. But. Yeah. The stuff I watched now as a kid, like I would never let my son watch now when right. he's 11. Yeah. So, so I, I don't think that this was completely made for kids. Uh, but yeah, it was actually rather well done. Like I found myself enjoying it, following along the story, wanting more. Like I, I want to see another movie like this. Um, there, it has time travel in a sense, you know, they talk about how Miss Peregrine is a breed of, uh, they call them end brains and it's only the females in the families and they can control time to the point of a 24 hour period. So they set up these time loops and at the end of the day, you know, like they pick a time like 9 PM and at 9 PM, they will reset the day back to 9 PM the day before. So they keep a 24 hour loop going in this one period, one spot forever. And it's interesting because, you know, people who don't know what's going on, they just see the normal world, but there are entrances that can only be accessed by people who are peculiar. That's the word that they always use. Um, and if you're peculiar, then you can go through the entrance into a loop. Uh, otherwise everybody else would just go in there and nothing would happen to them. Um, I really enjoyed it though. I don't want to give too much away because I know it's been around for a while. I caught it on HBO. Um, it's been out for over a year or so, but I really think that it's something that's enjoyable to watch. Um, yeah, I was quite surprised at how much I liked the story, um, the characters and, uh, I, I talked to my sister afterwards. She's read the book, the first book in the series. And she said that, um, like the first book kind of ends on a cliffhanger and this movie went beyond that. It kind of brought you resolution from the cliffhanger, which is good. And, uh, she said that there were a number of things in the book that didn't make sense, but when they did it in the movie version, it made a lot more sense. So she said she actually liked it better than the book, which is surprising. You never hear that. Whoa. Yeah. That is odd. Yeah. That's an odd statement. And your sister's read more than just about anyone I know. And I think <laughs> yeah. it's the first time I've ever heard her say something like that. Exactly. So, yeah, huh. I definitely, Dang. I recommend it if you want something that's, you know, kind of whimsical, kind of fantastical, uh, has similar notes to, uh, it really reminded me of Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, uh, mixed with like a Harry Potter kind of feel. Um, that kind of twisted dark world. Yeah. I liked it a lot, and if huh. you want a fun romp, you know, with a little bit of time travel, a little bit of, uh, you know, mixing of realities, yep. I say go for it. I, I 
Cool. I strongly recommend it to anybody. Well, I have HBO Go, so I may just check that out. Yeah. It's on there. I would definitely screen it before you show it to the kids. Kanan might be fine with it, but like it might be a bit much for Addison. Yeah. Definitely not Wes. <laughs> yeah, well Wes they probably wouldn't know anyways, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. So uh I I'm all out of shows and movies, but I do have some news to talk about, I guess. I got some news. I got a couple trailers. Yeah, I watched a couple trailers. Uh, Orange is the New Black. New season comes back this Friday. Oh, wow. June that's 9th. quick. Also this Friday, June 9th, is the premiere of Dark Matter with a double episode, and then weekly after that for the 13-episode season. Excellent. Yeah. And did you see the trailer for absolutely anything? No. Okay. This is the new Simon Pegg movie. Oh, I didn't realize he had one. I know. Either did I till this morning when I watched this trailer. Essentially, there's these aliens in a ship, and they've decided that they're going to destroy Earth okay. uh, because it's time to do away with it. However, <laughs> they're going to do the test, and the test is they pick one person at random in the world and give them all the powers of the universe to be able to do and change and create and make absolutely anything. So Bruce Almighty? Uh, no, way better. Okay. And, uh, of course, Simon Pegg is who's randomly chosen. <laughs> and, um, so it's definitely a comedy comedy, but like all the aliens that are on the show, like on the ship that we see that they keep talking to or whatever, they're like animated type or, you know, computer generated ones. They're, they're, they're voiced by Monty Python. Oh, Nice. Yeah, I recognize John Cleese straight away, but at the end of the trailer, they say, you know, the voices, you know, the voices of Monty Python, and they showed them all. And this is the coolest part: they were all in the studio together recording the voiceovers. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Instead of doing it on their own type of thing, yep. they showed the footage of them together, which was awesome. And then Simon Pegg's dog Dennis uh -huh. makes him, he gives him the ability to talk because it's easier that way, and he's voiced by Robin Williams. What? Yeah. So this was filmed before his death? I, apparently, yeah. But wow. they said that in the credits. It was voiced by Robin Williams. Because I thought he sounded familiar, but I was like, can't be Robin Williams because huh. he's dead. Yeah. So unless they just took sound clips of Robin Williams from all his movies and dubbed him in somehow. Interesting. Or maybe he filmed the voice like before he, before he killed himself or whatever. But yeah, it's voiced by Robin Williams. And I mean – Basically, if he uses the power for evil, then they're going to destroy the Earth. Okay. But if he doesn't, then they won't. And then, of course, the trailer shows a bunch of stupid decision-making things he does. Like, he gives himself a giant penis. And you don't see it. But, like, he's like, you know, give me give me a good body. And he waves his hand. He's like, all right, now give me self, you know, a, a big penis or something like that, a big one or whatever. And he waves his hand down there. And then he collapsed to the ground. He cuts out of the mirror. He's looking in the mirror, like in the bathroom. He gets pulled to the ground. He goes, not that big. <laughs> so, I mean, it's that type. It's going to be that type of British Simon Pegg comedy. So, yeah, check it out. It's funny. It says here, like, they had a story on this back in 2015. Yeah. Yeah, it says that he died in 2014, but his voice is coming back. Apparently, it just found distribution. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, it says the movie hits theaters in the UK on August 14th of 2015. So maybe it was already out there. 
I don't know. The trailer said 2017 on it. I never heard of this movie prior to this. No. It's, it says that it's Lionsgate, so that's possible. Like, maybe they couldn't find domestic. Say maybe it got released at a film festival in the UK or something, and then... Yeah, if you look at the IMDb get- page, it says 2015. It got a 6 out of 10 on IMDb. Metacritic huh. gave it 31%. Wow. <laughs> So is it just found distribution now then over here, yep. I guess? May 12th of 2017, it was redu- released in the USA. So, Oh, well, there we go. I'm going to hunt it down and try and watch before we record next week because that's <laughs> going to look funny. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, what kind of, what do you got for news or trailers? Uh, I watched a trailer that I sent to you, which is uh, the newest yes. remake version of Murder on the Orient Express. Looks good. It does look good. They don't give you a lot going on, but... Um, I like that, though, when they don't give you a lot. Yes. And that's, to me, it's like, you got a new Friday the 13th movie, a new Saw movie, a new something that's established people know about. Star you Wars. don't need to show up. New Star Wars movie. Basically, for a Star Wars trailer, all you need to see is Star Wars, the date. People are going. Yeah, exactly. You know, but like for <laughs> this, like, you struck oil, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, but for like this, murder on the Orient Express. Okay, you know what you're getting into. You show the cast, show some train, and there you go. Yeah, I like how they put the um, the title of each person. You know, the governess, the professor. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be good. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it does look solid. The other one that I was actually surprised, like I had seen a clip of it earlier. And I thought, no, no, just by seeing the clip, I was like, no, I don't want to check this out. But then a few names popped up, and I watched the full trailer for Baby Driver. I, okay, so I was at work last night, and that trailer came on the TV, and it caught my eye. Yep. But there was no volume on. You'll come to learn there's no volume on on the TV. It's in subtitles. Anyways, but there was no volume on, but like it was just the the cast that I kept seeing pop up on the screen. Jamie Foxx, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. So what's it about anyways? It's about – first off, you're really missing out a lot by not having the volume because it sounds like it's going to have a kick-ass soundtrack. Nice. And Kevin Spacey organizes things like bank robberies. And he puts together teams, and like in this case, his best driver is this kid who goes by the name Baby, and he's a driver. And it looks like uh, partly what could have been the best parts of Fast and the Furious, mostly the transporter. Um, and it's high octane stunt driving action with the story, you know, that Baby wants to get out of this. He's tired of you know, doing illegal stuff. And Kevin Spacey's like, you know, like hell you will. You, I own you. You're my lucky charm. And Jamie Foxx plays the guy who literally tells him at one point, no, I'm the guy with the mental issues on this team. That spot's already been taken. I'm the crazy one. And uh, I believe at that point he tosses a grenade out a window. Uh, one of the big things that drew me into this is that it's Edgar Wright wrote and directed it. And last yes, time I saw I him saw was, that at uh, the end. Ant-Man. Yep. I'm a big Edgar Wright fan. Uh, so I'm excited to see this movie, actually. Like, when I first saw the clips of it, and I was like, oh, it's some kid driving a car really fast. Boring. Get me out of here. Yep. But now that I know more about it and that it's a heist movie and that it's got a good cast and a great soundtrack and Edgar Wright's behind it, I'm like, yep, I'm on board. I'm all for this. 
See, it's funny watching the trailer like I did last night without the sound on, just seeing the cast and watching the action and then seeing what it popped up, the unwritten and directed by Edgar Wright. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to watch that eventually. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I strongly recommend. <laughs> I don't know what it's about. I strongly but I'm recommend you check it, it out eventually. with the, uh, the sound. Yeah, I will later. I watched a trailer called Wind River. Okay. It's a, it's a, it was a, a movie based on a book. It's uh, upcoming starring Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. Takes place in the Wind River Indian Reservation in Wyoming in the wintertime. So, you know. So Hawkeye that. and Scarlet Witch are ca- camping out? Yep, basically. Renner is a U.S. Fish and Wildlife agent. He discovers a body. And Olsen is a rookie FBI agent sent in to, uh, investigate. And it's a, it's a, it's a thriller murder, murder mystery. It looks pretty good. Looks pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Um, I got a couple other trailers. What do you have to talk about? I was going to say, they've announced already two of the main villains for DC's upcoming um, season. Flash Season 4, the villain is going to be The Thinker. Yep, I heard about that and myself. That's great because, you know, it's that's kind of what I wanted in Grodd. You know, I wanted yep. that mental strong person. And in this case, he's not really strong, but you know, he's got the thinking cap with the telekinesis and the telepathy and the mind control and stuff like that. Give us something other than a speedster. Yep. And, but as far as I know, they haven't said who's going to be playing him yet. Right. I haven't heard that either. Um, but over on Supergirl, Odette Annabelle, who you might know from some of the later seasons of House, she's the pretty mean girl in a lot of stuff. Uh, she's going to be playing Rain, R-E-I-G-N. Hmm. And probably who was in that capsule at the end of the season. Um, Makes sense. Her goal is to destroy Supergirl and Rain over the planet. So an appropriate name, I guess. But yeah, she will be the main villain of this coming season. Um, the kid that plays Bruce on Gotham yeah. has made mention or whatever that Harley Quinn is going to be on Gotham next season. I had heard something along those lines as well. Yeah. So. Well, let's hope they do her right. Eh, right. <laughs> Which is kind of weird because wasn't she, well, no, because she was seen in voice on Arrow, but Gotham's not part of the universe. That's right. Right. The, I watching the way that Gotham works, though, you know, they're going to have it be like some 600-pound black woman. And probably it'll be, you know, she'll have like multiple personality disorder or, so, or dissociative identity disorder. They'll, they'll find some way to completely screw, they'll it, screw up. it up. It's going to be Lee. They're going to somehow turn Lee into Harley Quinn. Oh, there right? you go. Yep. Yeah. So I watched a trailer for a movie called Ingrid Goes West. Okay. And I just copied and pasted the, I am the, uh, Wikipedia little synopsis on it because it's easier than what I could make up. So anyways, Ingrid Thornburn, played by Audrey Plaza, is a mentally unstable young woman in Pennsylvania who becomes obsessed with Taylor Sloan, played by Elizabeth Olsen, a social media influencer with a seemingly perfect life in Los Angeles. When Ingrid drops every, decides to drop everything and move to the West Coast to befriend Taylor in real life, her behavior turns unsettling and increasingly dangerous. Um... The Red Band trailer that I saw, uh, the first like 10 seconds or whatever it is, shows Audrey Plaza walking into this wedding and says, thanks. Oh, and she pepper sprays or maces the bride in the face and then screams, thanks for my invite, you effing see you next Tuesday. And I went, oh, well, that, 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 that's starting out with a bang. Huh. And, 
And then I read the synopsis and went, oh, well, I like Audrey Plaza, and she's playing batshit crazy, and I like Elizabeth Olsen, so this could be good. It, the way you – when you re- uh, read that description, my immediate thought was, oh, it's going to be a drama and it's going to be single white female. Uh, me too, but it looks like it's going to be a comedy single white female. Excellent. I could get behind that a lot more, especially with Aubrey Plaza because she's, right. she's much more the dry comedy type. And then right underneath that one, like it recommended I watch this Red Band trailer of another Aubrey Plaza movie called The Little Hours. Oh, my God, yes. You saw this. Okay, Holy so God, yes. Essentially, this is based on some 14th century book. That was written like this. This movie is based on like one of the. This like this book was had a hundred stories in it about some people living in isolation to avoid the Black Death, and but this is kind of based on one of those stories, I guess. And essentially, is again a young servant flees from his master and takes refuge in a convent full of nuns. And I also watched the Red Band trailer on this. The servant <laughs> is Dave Franco. Uh huh. Also, in the, and and the the young the uh, the master is Nick Offerman, and also in the movie is Allison Brie, Katie Micucci, Aubrey Plaza, John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, Fred Armisen, Paul Reiser, and more, more, more. Um, it looks almost like the trailer made it look like it would be like a shitty low budget Glitterbox movie because mm-hmm. it wasn't the best trailer as far as like production or guys. I guess I don't know, but I don't care. I want to watch this movie. Yes. Yeah, I remember talking I about this, want to watch this like movie. a month or so ago because yeah. it popped up for me as well because uh, both Allison Brie and Katie Micucci were promoting it. They were like, oh, our final, our Red Band trailer is finally out. And I was like, oh, well, if those guys are in it, I got to check it out. And I remember yeah. saying, holy God, wasn't there a part there where uh, like Fred Armisen's talking about, you know, talking about eating blood or something? He's like, how many yes. times do you think I've had to say that? Huh? Yeah. It's not that many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, essentially these nuns aren't very nun-like either. Oh, they're awful. There's like this scene where like uh, Dave Franco's character is is confessing to John C. Riley, and he's like, you know, and basically he had a threesome with two girls, and he's like, yeah, well, one of them put her mouth on my sex. Oh, sodomy. Oh, I I thought sodomy is when you entered into someone's like basically in the butt. I can't remember what the word he used, but it was more period words. And he goes like, that is too. Did you do that? Yes, I did that as well. Oh, okay. Like, I'm like, okay, this movie is very raunchy and full of sex and great comedians. And I look forward to watching this. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So that's, that wraps up my week. Um, they announced that Darren and Glenn Morgan, Two of the original writers for the X Files are coming yes. back to write most of season eleven. Oh yeah, uh, uh, James Wong and uh, James Wong and Glenn Morgan. Oh, I heard Darren was coming back as well. He well, okay. The writing team is James Wong and Glenn Morgan, and then Darren is Glenn's brother, and he also wrote episodes, but mostly on his own. Okay, they also did uh, James and Darren did like Space Above and Beyond that series. They gotcha. left the X Files to go do that series. I gotcha. Um, and they they did write episodes of season ten of those six episodes they wrote. In fact, I believe they wrote my favorite episode, which is the uh, <laughs> Where Man, the Where Human, the Where Human. Yes, yeah. Yeah. love yeah, that. They wrote that episode, I believe. That's awesome. I love that episode. Um, I didn't write down the guy's name because it was long and I didn't recognize it. But basically, the person who was the 
main executive producer on uh, Person of Interest is coming over to be the showrunner for season two of Taken. Huh. Well, that's interesting. I wonder how that's going to go. So now I have to go and watch Taken because I loved Person of Interest. You know, honestly, Taken was not a bad show. Like, I, I was very surprised. I didn't like it like I liked Lethal Weapon. Right. But I still liked it. I was very surprised how much I enjoyed it. That's another reason that I got to check it out. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, they finally named a director for Deadpool 2. Oh, yeah? Who? The guy who did John Wick. Ooh. Right? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. And, okay. and I, I can really get behind that. To, I can totally get behind that, yeah. Because I know how vocal and in the loop Ryan Reynolds is. So it's not like you could say, oh, well, he's going to come in and take over and ruin everything. No, he's going to bring his own style, and Ryan Reynolds is going to keep him in check. Yep, that's and, exactly what's happened. Ooh, good, good guy. Yeah. I, I got behind that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then the final thing that I had, which made me literally laugh out loud last night when I read it, um, is the Tales from the Crypt reboot on TNT is fully dead. Made you literally what? Laugh out loud. Because I knew it. I knew it was going to happen. We had talked about this. You know, they were like, oh, yes, we're so excited to be doing this. And they brought on M. Night Shyamalan, and they're like, yes, you know, we're going to have a full reboot. And we're like, how are they going to do it on TNT? How how are they going to do it with all the licensing rights? Like, how did they get the licensing rights? Well, guess what? That's what nailed them. They said that it became a minefield of rights and legal battles, and they said it would have buried them in paperwork for well over four years just trying to get the rights sorted out. And they said it just wasn't worth our time, so we walked away. You know, you figure Tales from the Crypt goes back to the comics, you know, the trade magazines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you had, you know, HBO had the series for a while. Now TNT was like, oh, yeah, we're going to make it. We're like, where did they get the rights? You know, who did they buy them from? Who did they have the, uh, the paperwork drawn up from? Like, how is this going to happen? And sure enough, it was not – I mean, they put out that teaser and the trailer and M. Night Shyamalan bragging about how he was going to do it. And we're like – how do they – they didn't even have the rights at the time. They didn't even have the, the paperwork finalized. What the hell is wrong with these people? Uh, a, a smaller company, comic book company recently said touted they were bringing back Tales from the Crypt, the comics. <laughs> and um, they released one, the first issue and it came out a few months ago. I remember I got it. I picked it up at Editors and I, I messaged was like, put this in my poll. And he did, so I mean, I, I picked it up. It was a great, it was a great issue. It reminded me of the old, you know, Tales from the Crypt comics and everything like that. Because I used to, when I was a kid, they re- relaunched them. When I was about ten, mm-hmm. they re- they relaunched it, and they did they did a lot of reprints of the original stories, but they also had some new stories and everything like that. And I remember I picked that up every 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 month. I really enjoyed wa- reading it. Well, I, they have yet to release issue two. So I don't know if they're going to release another issue of this new run. They, I don't know if they got hung up. I don't know if it's the same rights issues. I don't know if they somehow snuck one out the door and then now you know they had to, they, they have to backtrack. Or I, I, I don't know what it is, but they haven't released a second issue yet. So and it could be the exact same thing. You know, it could yeah. be that they tried to do this and then somebody else out there who owns part of the rights said, yeah. "Whoa, cowboy," and stopped them in their tracks. Yeah. I feel like they were probably a small enough comic book company. They were able to sneak that first one out there, you know, and, and 
it wasn't publicized enough for someone to notice it, you know? And then once it was out there, it got noticed somehow. Same, but like, whereas M. Light Shyamalan, you know, TNT doing Tales of the that, that was, that was out there, yeah. That was very out there. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Well, I can't say I'm upset about it because I was afraid how they were going to ruin it. However, after watching Split, maybe he wasn't going to ruin it. It's true. So, anyhow. Cool. Yeah. Was that, does that wrap it up? That wraps it up. Let's wrap it up so I can go to bed, so I can get up and go to work, because that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> fun time. Um, yeah, so, uh, hey, let us know what you're watching. I know Carolyn's re-watching uh, Evil Dead the movie, so she can start watching Evil Ash versus Evil Dead. She's going to finally watch it. So that's good. Wow. That's good. And you still haven't watched Angry Video Game Nerd like you told her you would. I have not, but you gave it such a glowing review that it really inspired me to run away. Well, you're still you're still on the hook, my friend. Anyhow, you can find <laughs> us on Twitter. I'm at SuperstarML. I'm at the Quantum Geek G33K. Uh, the show is at What Did You Watch? And we got the Facebook page, What Did You Watch This Week? Go give us a like, and uh, thanks. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. 